0: Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today, feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson.
1: I'm doing a series on fear and how fear disables us. All right, first Kings chapter 19, 1 through 10, although we're going to pick up a little further, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed there that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword i alone am left and they seek to take my life i'm going to stop right there we're going to pick up however and go through a little more i'd like to remind you that last week we looked at a man Herod Antipas who was an unsaved man paralyzed by fear. Everything it seemed that he did was motivated by fear. But now we have a man of God who is afraid. He runs. We're going to be examining and looking at some of this because sometimes fear, worry, anxiety can paralyze I've known people that have uh, various forms of fear, like agoraphobia, where you're afraid to go out into crowds. There's all kinds of different fears that paralyze, maybe even immobilize your body. They hinder your growth in Christ. Mankind had no fears before Adam's sin. Once Adam sinned, Adam and Eve went and hid themselves, and they said that was because they were afraid. And now Adam has passed all of that fear to his offspring. All of us experience fear. It becomes a spiritual obstacle to spiritual maturity if it is allowed to grow and to fester in our life. If I fear, I want to take steps to eliminate that fear. If I fear mice or rats, what do I do? I put traps out, right? If I fear wasp, I get some wasp spray, take care of the nest, or whatever it might be. I take action. And that's what we're called to do in the spiritual sense. That we're going to take action when we fear. We're going to get over and see in the future, Lord willing, if we have time, we're going to get over and look at some aspects of fear in the positive aspect. How that God uses fear in our reverence to Him. God uses that in a very special way. But today I want us to see... How fear can just immobilize a man of God. We're talking about a time also, and we're going to be looking at the future and seeing that there will be a time when the Lord's churches are no longer in this world. In Revelation 14, it talks about the angel of God who flies through the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. And it's interesting because what he says, his cry is, fear God. And give glory to Him. So you see, there is a positive aspect. And I think that when we see when Satan is done with this world, we'll all be afraid. We'll all have some fear. But today we look at the man of God that's overcome by fear. And it is a sad estate, but I want you to see the God who is beside. The God who is behind him. The God that is watching over. Because the fear of God can be such a positive aspect in our lives. I might use Matthew 6, 33 and 34 as a theme for this series, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I think we need to recognize and see that truly, There's enough trouble in this world. Don't worry about what's about to come or what might happen. Worry about focusing on the Lord today. Let's go back in 1 Kings verses 1 through 3 and get the setting because... In chapter 18, we've just seen Elijah with the 450 prophets of Baal, and he prays, you know, we just went through in our Bible survey on Wednesday nights, we went through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, so hopefully this is a familiar passage to you. How he prays and God sends fire, consumes the offering. Well now, Ahab, the king of Israel, the king of the northern kingdoms, Ahab told Jezebel, and of course Jezebel is his wife, all that Elijah had done. How that he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. It's interesting because the miracle on Carmel cows Ahab. Ahab recognizes the power of God. He saw it. And he did not oppose the slaughter of the prophets of Baal. Jezebel. Jezebel's made of sterner stuff. Her passionate idolatry was proof even against the sign from heaven. And she was not at the contest to see who was the true God. But there's an old saying, A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still obstinacy in error often is a rebuke to an unsteady faith in God. I want you to think about she fiercely puts her back against the wall. She defies Elijah. She defies the God of heaven. She defies the true God. Her threat to the prophet has a certain audacity. There's a frankness She's almost generous in saying, oh, I'll give you a tale about this time tomorrow. In other words, you can run, Elijah, but I'm going to get you. And she'll give her victim fair play. This woman is magnificent in her sin, isn't she? The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, it prefixes an oath. It says, as surely as thou art Elijah and I Jezebel. And he adds that force The idea of just because even though you are Elijah and I'm Jezebel, by this time tomorrow, it also reads and it gives us in the Hebrew translation in verse 3, New King James says, And when he saw it, but the Septuagint says, He was afraid for he saw. That's the idea of the Hebrew there. He was afraid for he saw that Jezebel could reach out and touch him. And it shows the real motivation for wanting to escape. So let's look first at the prophet's flight, verses 3 through 8. So what does he do? He goes to Beersheba, That's what it said. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, that is the southern kingdom, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, your version may say a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now I want you to get a picture of where... Elijah is and how he is fleeing because Beersheba is on the southern border of the kingdom of Judah. It is full of memories for Israel of the great patriarchs of old that had been in Beersheba. It's nearly a hundred miles from Jezreel where Jezebel was, where he had fled. So he's already gone a hundred miles. He's on the run. He's going to take off, but yet he felt like Jezebel's arm was still long enough that she could reach out and catch him in Beersheba. Therefore, what does he do? He goes into the southern desert and he leaves behind his young man, his servant, as the original says, and he left the young man. It's interesting because the rabbis in their tradition identifies the servant of Elijah at this point as being the son of. Of the widow of Zarephath. And you can go back a couple of chapters before, I think it's in chapter 17, where Elijah revives and brings back to life the child of Zarephath. The rabbis believe that it is the prophet Jonah. Just some thoughts, something for you to study. He may have been very much educated and admonished and taught right by the prophet Elijah. Well, thus alone, Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or Biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on Landmark Stockton, all one word, com, or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. Except for the company of his gloomy thoughts, quickly becomes weary. It's a toilsome journey. It's a hard travel. And I can only imagine the intense sun and the dry wasteland. And that's what fear does. It robs you of your vigor. It robs you of your strength. And Elijah takes shelter under a solitary shrub, a broom tree, a juniper, one juniper. The Hebrew emphatically calls it one juniper, or rather, broom plant. And there the waves of depression come over him. His complaint is not to be wondered at, though it's wrong. We can understand why he's complaining this. The very overstrain of the scene at Mount Carmel just before this. You know what we have seen so many times when you're maybe on a spiritual high, what happens? It's easy to get down into the slump. You've been on the mountain, now it's easy to get into the valley. Well, the height and the crest of the one wave measures the excuse me, the depth of the trough of the next. No mortal spirit can keep itself elevated all that time to such a spiritual high. And Elijah went alone, converted by the notion that that Jezebel could get him. And he supposes that he's got to run. He has to flee. And it's coming so immediately after this great victory, it showed him really... How hollow the change in the people was. What had become of the fervency, the shout of all of the people, The Lord, He is God. He is God. And if they could just leave Jezebel the power to carry on the threat that the people left Jezebel in in that place. But now he's in solitude. He's in that awful desert and it increases his gloom. A strong man, but yet he becomes weak with fear. was that ebb tide in him. His prayer was kind of impatient, presumptuous, kind of petulant. What right had he to to settle what was enough? Why is it that Elijah could say, Lord, it's enough. I've had enough. I'm done. The strong man, if he really wanted to die, why didn't he just stay close to Jezebel? She promised she was going to kill him. If he really wanted to die, as he stands up and he says, Lord, it's enough. Just take my life. I'm no better than my forefathers. So you see that there's really something else at work in his life. He's weary of his work. He is disappointed that it looks like there was such failure after Israel had seen the power of God and stood up against the prophets of Baal. So he hastily concludes that it was a failure. Maybe there's some faithlessness here, a despondency. He forgot the reverence, he forgot the submission, he forgot the obedience. Now, let me say that if Elijah can become weak and his courage can die out and his zeal become apathy or or cowardice, how about us? What could happen to us? How can fear affect us? Who can stand? The lessons are here that Elijah is trusting in himself. and the nearness to someone else, he leaves a servant who might have been a help, who might have been an encouragement. But God stands closest, even when you're in the most remote place. God is still there. Even though you may be alone, even though we're alone with the emotions of our weak nature, the depth of the gloom that this bold servant of God, how quickly he fell into this deep despair. He thought that he had lost hold of God's hand, but it's just the other way around. God still has Elijah in his hand. He still has you in hand, whatever you may be going through. There, the prophet and what a scene that we have as he's huddled under a solitary juniper bush praying this foolish prayer for death. And the meal to which the angel twice wakes him says, you've got to take and eat. That's really an answer to his prayer, telling him that both his life was still needful and that God take would take care of him. It's telling him, it's showing him God's still there, he's still providing and perhaps... One of Elijah's reasons for taking to the desert might have been that he thought he was going to starve himself. He might have thought, well, I'll just go out there and die and find death. But at all of the events, God, the third time, miraculously had provided food. Do you remember the ravens? During that three and a half years when there was no water, when there was the great drought, the ravens brought him food. There was the widow at Zarephath. And now God had provided the meal there. And now an angel. These were all his caterers. He'd seen God's hand three times now. And instead of taking away his life, God himself sends bread and water to preserve it, to refresh it. The revelation of a watchful, tender provider, the providence of God, it often shames us back to faith. When we fall into such a place and we see... And we might fall into gloomy disbelief. It brings us back as we see God still providing, still watching over us. We're not told whether the journey to Horeb was commanded or like the flight from Jezreel was Elijah's own doing. And I think that it was, but in any case, he must have wandered in the desert because it's taken 40 days to reach Horeb. And that takes us to the second stage of the vision at Horeb in verses 9 through 14. And there he went into a cave and spent the night at that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind, tore into the mountains, and broke the rock in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do You notice how he repeats this. Here, the history of Israel had never touched Horeb since Moses left. Do you remember that? Do you remember how? There is great significance on this holy ground, this sacred ground, and there is a parallel between Moses and Elijah. It's very real, very much seen in the transfiguration of Christ with Moses and Elijah there. These two names stand out above so many others in the history of the theocracy of Israel. One was the founder an establisher of that nation bringing its laws. The other was its restorer. Both really are distinguished by special revelations. Both were endowed by exceptional force of character, such exceptional power of the Spirit. The one a lawgiver, the other the head of the prophetic order. Both had something very peculiar in their departure. Both are standing together, witnessing the supremacy of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the associations in this place are marked by the definite article that's missed in the authorized version. It doesn't say the cave. Because it is referring to that same cleft in the rock where Moses had stood. That's what the rabbis believe. That's what they teach. And the Hebrew brings that out. This is the cave. The place where Moses had stood To see the glory of God. And here too, Elijah, it says that he lodged literally past the night. And that therefore, we might suppose that the vision came to Elijah in the darkness. That question is, what doest thou here? Why are you here, Elijah? It's got that tone of rebuke. But like Christ in the traveler's to Emmaus as he was walking along, and they began interrogating, they're talking about all that had taken place. Here's another interrogation from God, and it's also put in order by the loaded heart relieving itself and pouring out all of its griefs. God's questions are really assuring Elijah. God's still listening. God has a sympathizing heart.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue, that's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at scl of ministry at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you